0: Welcome to Power for All's special podcast edition in commemoration of International Women's Month. My name is Maduba Malachi, standing in for Christina Sikirka. I'm the communications director for Africa for Power for All. And our special guest today is Lucia Wamala, founder and chief executive officer at Bakulu Power. It's a renewable energy company that designs, installs and operates systems for both residential and commercial clients, in Uganda. A natural connector, Lucia has bridged the fields of business, academia, politics and arts in meaningful ways.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I gotta mind my manners. Um, Bukulu—it's actually just a snippet of my last name. My last name is Bukulu Mpachi Wamala, and you know, you can probably hear in my accent I grew up in the West. So, when we were kids, doing attendance, (laughs) having a teacher try and pronounce Bukulu Mpachi Wamala was very difficult, even. I get made fun of in Uganda because apparently I say it wrong too. So we, my mom kind of chopped that off of our name growing up. So I always just went by Wamala. And then, you know, when I was starting the company, I was trying to think, you know, Wamala energy, Wamala power. Wamala is a very common name in Uganda. So the registrar actually just wouldn't accept it. So then I was like, okay, since I'm kind of, this whole thing is about going back to my roots. Let me take a piece of my real full last name. I know that Bukulu, is for, in some languages, it um, means, I think, elder. And I had one of my cousins try and explain to me what Bokulumpachi means. Oh boy, I hope I don't let down <laughs> my people. But I believe um, it means something to the effect that there's always a strong pillar. As though like there's strong roots, a strong pillar. That's the way my cousin explained it. She found it was very difficult for her to take it from Luganda, explain it in English. But um, you know, it's actually it's it actually was really quite simple. <laughs> it's just part of my last name, but you know, it does still have that deep meaning because my parents passed away when I was young, and the whole premise was you know for me to get closer to who I am and. You know in honor of my parents who are elders and strong pillars so i guess it's a bit more poetic than i thought
0: oh, that's that's wonderful actually it, it, it bakulu i do identify with the word bakulu because in in south africa there is baholo and bakulu in in the different languages in zulu and Setswana, and it means the great ones or, or the elders as you say so it, it oh i like that so, yeah so it it it, it it kind of gels with the say that we are one because our languages are so similar. So it, it makes an interesting name for, for your company, but I would like to get now from public administration degree to, to this, just tell, tell us what, what, what in in which moment did you realize that this was your calling? Well.
1: I mean, even my degree in public administration is something I don't quite understand. <laughs> I don't know why I took that. I don't even know why I studied that, to be honest. Um, the, the company came about, honestly, it's, sometimes I laugh at myself because it is just like the most naive story of all time. I, um, I used to work, you know, for the government in Ottawa. I grew up in Ottawa, Canada. It's a government town. Maybe that's why I got a degree in government. Um, but I used to also work in fashion entertainment. I was a model booker. I used to also uh, represent like talent, like makeup artists, hairdressers. And I that was what I thought was gonna be you know the trajectory of my life. I had applied for an MBA. I was p- prepared to actually move to New York to get an MBA in fashion management. And, you know, at the time I was interviewing with um, the parent company of Balenciaga. And I mean, this is before Kim and Kanye taught everybody about Balenciaga. (laughs) This is a while ago. And that's really what I thought I was going to do. And then I found out I was pregnant. And it was suddenly like, okay, well, maybe now it's not a good time to be a student, take on more debt, move to the U.S. It it just suddenly, like, all these decisions I would made, were seemingly terrible decisions, um, but in that at that time, I was planning to go to Uganda in the hopes of finding, you know, one of uh, my late parents' relatives to pay for this MBA I wanted to get. And then I decided, you know what? I'm just gonna go to Uganda anyways. So I went, and I was like insanely emotional because I'm there and I'm pregnant and I'm like not married, so I'm trying to hide it. From all of my family, but it was kind of a joke. Everybody could tell because back home, I mean, people have ways. Like, remember, I had one uncle who said he could tell by my neck that I was pregnant. I was like, "What?" So I was super, super, super emotional. And I remember, you know, I went to go to my parents' graves, and it just sounds so corny, but I, I, I don't know. I guess it was like this kind of come to Jesus moment where I'm like. There's something better I can do than politely tell you know women not to eat and you know fixate on styling and all of these things that suddenly seem very superficial, you know. Being at my parents' graves and you know having this baby in my stomach and just being an emotional catastrophe, really. (laughs) Remember, it was funny being in Uganda because you know I I like to have a good time, so all of my family was like, "Okay, you know this." Canadian cousin of is coming and everyone had this notion like she's a party girl. We're going to have a good time, but I'm there pregnant hiding. So like every time they offer me a drink, I'm like, no, thank you. And I was like, they're like, why are you sleeping so much? And I thought you were the fun one. And I was just like a crazy woman. So I just kind of reevaluated everything I was doing. And then I would just think, what can I do that means something And I was like, well, Uganda was really great. I'd like to do something there. So it's like the most naive story, which I think is probably why I've even bothered. Because I laugh, I'm like, if I knew then, what I know now, I might not have taken on this challenge.
0: But would you would say a good thing came out of what was a tumultuous time of your life?
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I have got like the coolest daughter. Like she's just so cool. (laughs) Um, and, you know, I love being a mom. I have even, I have tons of godchildren. I love, you know, I'm, I'm quite maternal and I love, you know, working with teams and one thing that I found was kind of interesting and not the most, you know, maybe not the most, um, like intuitive connection for someone to make is, you know, from my days working in um, the entertainment industry, You know, when you represent a model or even a hairdresser or, or, you know, a stylist, even that that one person that you represent has to work with so many other people. It really takes a, a, a lot of coordination to make, you know, a photo shoot happen, to make a television production happen. And it's quite similar to our work, to my work now that, you know, we work with people in forestry and water and roads and all sorts of things. And my job as, you know, an executive and as, you know, a founder with like a vision is to find people who are experts in all of these different um, areas and bring them together. It's like, I, I feel like I'm like this cowboy with like a lasso. <laughs> I'm just riding around trying to rope people in and be like, do you want to come work at us? and you know, it's just led, it's completely changed the direction of my life. I never would have imagined that I'd do this, but it's amazing. You know, I mean, like, to God be the glory. It's just, it's really amazing that I've been fortunate and able to follow my own, just my curiosities, and it's led me here. So I'm like, who knows where it's gonna take me? Like, we'll follow up in a few years and who knows at
0: that point, what we'll be doing. Yeah, and you can only go further up from here, I I imagine, from where you've come. But, Lucia, a person like you with a vision, with, with so much drive and ambition, you know, and you also happen to be a woman in, you know, 2022, in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know if it's coming or going, but, you know, <laughs> one right? of the reasons... Yes, it's 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 so distressing but one of the reasons we chose to do these special special editions or, or episodes rather it's because we see how you know the gender parity especially in the, in the sector is is quite compromised where women are not on par, on par with 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 male counterparts i i wanted to share some of your stories about being a woman in the sector that made you feel that boy I am a woman and this this was made for men but I'm going to fight on and do what I need to do to do my work
1: yeah i mean you know it it's interesting because i mean just like to kind of speak on the pandemic a little bit you know um my daughter i'm a, I'm a single mom and my daughter basically didn't go to school for like for a long time you know um so that's challenging where obviously, you know, I had to take a step back from work and look after my daughter. And I think maybe that in a way makes me a bit more understanding of other people and their circumstances and their lives. And, you know, I'm very maternal. And, you know, with all of my colleagues, you know, in Uganda, Uganda, I believe had the longest school closure, I think in the world, you know, so it was, It was a difficult time where, you know, I I was paying some of my colleagues out of my pocket, you know, to make sure that they could maintain, you know, sometimes something happens and it's like, we're not doing interviews, we're not doing all these other fun things, like we just got to maintain. And in Uganda, it was um, the travel restrictions, I mean, forget travel restrictions from country to country you actually couldn't even go to this from district to district during lockdown, you know? So we had a lot of challenges. Um, I think being a woman and I mean, I wouldn't even know if you'd say it's being a woman, but just being very parental was helpful at the time, you know, and even still, because like you said, is it finished? or we, is it back on? I mean, who knows that, we need that kind of flexibility and just like understanding, which I think I naturally have Um, in terms of being a woman. Oh my goodness. I I mean, I get reminded of it all the time. Um, And it's an interesting experience because everyone I work with, I work with men all the time. I'm very fortunate that, you know, I've been able to sit and do round tables with heads of state. And it's so cool. And like, you know, the CEO of General Electric and all of these names that, you know, sometimes I would feel like I was being punked. (laughs) I'm like, is this real? And they're they're men. And, you know, you do get that um, kind of doubt from people where it's kind of like, why is she here? Or, you know, is she the assistant or is she the intern or whatever? And it can bother me, but I think I'm just... Like other in so many ways that I go to Uganda, I'm a Muzungu because I was raised in Canada. You know, then I go in this room, I'm the other because I'm a woman. Or I go here and I'm other because I'm younger than them. Or I'm other because I'm a mother or I'm not married. Like, so I'm just kind of used to it, you know? Even like growing up in Canada, I'm other because I'm the one from from Africa. I was a refugee. Like, Then I was other because I was the one who had no parents, like I've just kind of been on that end of things a while and I just, I'm like, I guess maybe that's where my sauce comes from. I don't know, but I've definitely had a lot of crazy experiences. Like I've had men take pictures up my skirt before, like crazy and like really respected men, you know, so I've had a lot of bad behavior um done to me. Um a lot of doubting, a lot of I've been ridiculed. I remember I was literally like heckled on stage once and yeah. Anyways, we're dipping into therapist territory, so I'll stop there.
0: (laughs) Well (laughs) it's interesting to listen to and I'm quite I must say I'm quite honored to be a man, somebody who identify as a man, to be doing this interview because I work for a campaign that is led by women. I think Men are just under twenty five percent of 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 the whole stuff, and we are led by really really great great people and and most of them are women from all over the world and i'm I'm thinking about you now as somebody who you know is in charge of the future of your own company and and i'm I'm wondering if are you applying any interesting way of recruiting people are you trying to get more women or maybe people who are non-binary because we live in a non-binary world now or what is your different take because I've learned over the few months I've been at powerful or women tend to think dif- much much differently from 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 men
1: um yeah You. I mean this might be an unpopular response but whatever um, I, I I just look for well A, I mean to join a startup, It takes a certain kind of person who even wants to join a startup. So you already have to work with what you have. I don't ever go into anything with this idea of who I want in terms of gender, sexual orientation. I'm never looking to, like, fill a quota and bring in people kind of based on quotas. I look at who I have and I mean I've been really lucky like we have I mean our sociologist is like I mean she's bad to the bone like she is just and she's a woman and it's not like you know she joined us because she's a woman it's like she's dope and she happens to be a woman so there are more men who work with um who work with the team than there are women and I think that's, I mean, it just is what it is. I would never give preference to anybody over anybody. I just want people who are a good, you know, who care about the mission, who care, who see the vision, who care about the work, who have integrity. I've, you know, we've walked away from people who've been, you know, a little less ethical than I would like. And, you know, so, those are the things I think of. I want diversity in thought. I don't want sycophants. I don't want um, crooks. I don't want people who are leggy, but Catsy, you know, oh, you know, like." I don't want anything like that. So that's what guides that. That's what guides who we bring in to the company, and um, I mean, the more diversity, the better because we need different thoughts to chat like to be able to do this difficult work but um i work with what i have
0: <laughs> no totally understand thank you for that answer and you know as as we prepare for these kind of podcasts, you you plow through a lot of research done on women in the sector and the, the research that I found that was very coherent was by Irina, which is from 2019, which says, you know, renewable energy employs about 30, 32% women compared to 22% in the energy sector overall. We we also know that, you know, within the renewable sector, women's participation in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics jobs is far lower than in administrative job jobs. So I'm, I'm, the question I have for you is, you know, if, if there isn't a balanced... A balance between the representation of men and women in the sector. Do you not? Do you not see that as a stumbling block for the future of your own work and, and company?
1: See, I'm actually. <laughs> you can tell I'm gonna give you a real answer. I took a second to think. Um, I think there's a, that's a good question. That's like a, I, I, to me, there's like five questions in one. I think that um, even kind of going back to an answer I gave earlier about. Um, the pandemic and about how it affected people and how, you know, I was paying people out of my pocket and things like that. I think that you find a lot of women, like, I mean, the pandemic took how many women out of the workplace? I know, you know, Justin Trudeau gets, you know, he gets teased a bit for some of the terms he used, but he called it a, what did he call it? Not a recession, a a, a she-session, called it, which needs a she-covery, which he gets teased about. But I, I I see the sentiment that it affected women, you know, when you have to choose between your work and your child, your household, or, you know, the children in your family or, what, you know, whatever it might be, the children win. So I'm like, I think for me, having that culture already in the company to where, you know, we support each other, men and women, we support each other. And I I try and make an environment where no one has to drop out for reasons like that. So then you can have, you know, like I mentioned, our sociologist, who's a complete rock star, you can have her stick with us and like move up and up and up and up and up. up. So I mean, that's how I look at that. Um, And I think I think sometimes also when we talk about the energy industry, we look at, you know, STEM versus admit. And I mean, I'm not an engineer. I, you mentioned earlier, I have a degree in public administration. I also did a program at Cambridge, but I'm by no means like a STEM person. So I'm always, you know, I'm here rooting for the non-technical people because there's a space for non-technical people. I mean, you could be, we have architects who work with us. We have you know, food security specialists. There's so many other parts of the puzzle that require people who maybe are not mechanical or electrical engineers.
0: Well, I, I quite relate to your answer because, you know, I joined Power for All as a journalist straight from the newsroom. And I did climate change stories and energy stories as as. By the way, not necessarily something that I focused on, but it I found it very interesting, and so I do agree with you that the sector needs people who are skilled in other ways to mainstream, and energy, climate change, and the sector overall. So I do agree with you there, and thank you for that good answer. And I'll make this my last question to you, and this is a a, a challenge that was highlighted at COP26 last year, and I'm sure it will feature in COP27 in Egypt uh, later this year. And and the challenge is that women face uh, in the DR sector is access to funding. And it's a general problem, but more so for women because there are also fewer in the sector. But how was your experience in sourcing funds to start Bakulu Power? And what lessons did you learn? What can be done to unlock financing for women? Well, I
1: mean, we're actually (laughs) self-funded, So we've, I mean, I've been fortunate and we've, you know, I've met a number of investors and, you know, that's why I just, I feel so honored to even, you know, be able to do this podcast with you because I believe that you just never know who's listening. You never know who's watching and, you know, you just never know where your next um, partner or, you know, even just supporter or your next teacher will come from. So I've we've been fortunate, and we've you know we've been in due diligence with a numbers with a number of investors, and we were actually just about to sign an agreement right before COVID, and then, you know, I have other friends who are also in energy, and they a lot we all all of our funding <laughs> fell through, um, which makes sense because the priorities in the world did change. Um, I think for me, I, I've never looked at it as though. I was having difficulty raising funds because I was a woman. I actually personally never even I never even connected those thoughts Um, to me. The kind of projects that we do, we do mini grids, which are, you know, in like the five million dollar range, even a little bit less than that. That's a very difficult amount of money to raise. A typical energy investor is looking at, you know, grand renaissance and looking at really the really big projects. So even to get someone to speak to you for a project of ten million is difficult. And you know, I've, I mean, I remember I was in a working group with the with the European Union and all the DFIs from all of their member states were in the group, and we'd sit and we talk, and you would see. A lot of positive um, traction. They were trying to, you know, build mechanisms to, you know, take on projects of the ten million dollar price tag. But then, when you get to the five million dollar price tag, it, it's even more difficult because you're too big for like a Kiva loan. You, I mean, unless you're independently wealthy, you're too. It's too big for you to fund yourself, and yet the traditional investors aren't so much into it. Now, I guess this is where, for me, being like an outsider, being non-technical, being, you know, just other in so many ways, I look at, you know, there's a lot of people with a lot of money, you know. So it's just ways of kind of um, positioning certain things differently, and um, it requires a lot of creativity to start something, just to get something online. I think that is a place where, you know, we just have to try and figure some things out. I think there's a lot of funding for technical assistance and we've been fortunate to get um, technical assistance and it's, it's amazing. You know, we've had people come in and, you know, they've helped us tighten up like our financial model and, you know, tighten up the pitch deck. And I get that the logic behind that is that then you should be able to go on and raise the finance. But again, if you're in that funny, you know, not funny, but if you're in that bracket where it's too small and too big, it can be difficult. So I mean I think it'd be really interesting to see some kind of funding mechanisms or some kind of awareness around this level of funding and for people to kind of get sensitized about like these projects and the five million range, like I mean, there, I've, I have other friends who are developers and there's a lot of really, really cool models where you can get people electricity um, fast. You know, it's, it's different. And we have in deep rural areas, I mean, it's not this robust, like run a power plant on this power. But if we're talking about deep rural communities that have no electricity at all you're not going to jump to, like, this huge industrial-sized power plant anyways. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of, um, like, education, sensitization, and just, like, talking with different people about projects in this price range and how to get them funded and how to get, you know, our deep rural people In better situations with electricity i mean lord i don't even know if that answered your question i really went on a tangent there but yeah for me the funding issue i don't see it as a gender issue i see it as a price tag issue
0: our special guest today is lucia wamala founder and chief executive officer at bakulu power Thank you so much for your time and I also want to take this opportunity and thank you all for listening and a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis and data on our website, powerful.org and on our platform for energy access knowledge peak. You can also sign up to receive our monthly newsletter and if you'd like to support our work, you can make a donation via our homepage. Speak to you soon till the next for All episode of the podcast. Goodbye.